Welcome to episode 93 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by the Liquor Store of Jackson Hole, growing with our community since 1985. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other. And I intend to search out people and their stories, which will teach us all a little about life outside of our everyday circle. Today's guest is Laura Saltow, a wife, mother, and executive director of Teton Literacy Center. Laura first landed at Teton Literacy Center as an AmeriCorps volunteer and rose up the ranks to the position of executive director, which she's held for four and a half years. Laura has been drawn to Jackson Hole through its people, and she is certainly one of those people who makes a positive impact in this community each day. Laura shares with us today how literacy is defined, why in today's world we continue to see illiteracy, and how we can all make an impact to build literacy in our communities. Laura, thank you for joining me at the Jackson Hole Connection today. It's wonderful to see you via Zoom. And excited to dive a little bit deeper into who you are and what you do for our community. Thanks for having me and thanks for hosting this podcast. It's been so fun to get to know some of our community members through this. You bet. And remember, it has worldwide reach. We have people listening from Germany, Mexico, Israel. So people will learn a little bit about you as well. And if you have some friends international, they can always find it. Awesome. For better or for worse, right? That's right. Laura, let's start off with how you landed here in Jackson Hole. What is your connection to this place? Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Alabama. And after college, uh, um, <laughs> uh, and so after college, a group of girlfriends from high school, we all had kind of fall plans and, you know, grad school, teaching musicians, whatever it might be. And we had kind of six to eight weeks to where we wanted to get together and go do something. And one of our friends proposed Jackson Hole. Um, I knew nothing about it, nor did I really care where we went. I was like, I'm in for whatever. And so um, hopped in the car, caravan, three cars out. You know, we lived in a one bedroom place, seven of us. And, you know, pulled into town and being a Gulf Coast girl, I really had limited interactions with the mountains. And I just, I'm sure a lot of people have this just breathtaking moment where they remember seeing the Tetons and just seeing the mountains. And mine was more just coming up through the Hoback and in that canyon. And I just remember thinking like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so came for that summer, ended up leaving, went and, you know, did my teaching gig, came back for the next summer, thought I was going to go back and teach again. And that second summer, I just decided that, again, this is where I needed to be. And I was kind of sick of bouncing around. I'd gone to Spain to teach um, second grade for a year. And I just was ready to kind of settle. And I felt like I just scratched the surface of what this community and what I could explore here. And I'd gotten to know the community a little bit more. I think, you know, I love the library's tagline. Um, You know, we come for the mountains, but we stay for various reasons. And we stay, you know, I stayed for the community and I stayed, um, I I, I landed a position with Teton Literacy Center and have been here ever since. So what year did you start with Teton Literacy Center? I came here um, 2007. I started with Teton Literacy Center. 
Good for you. There's not many people that stick around in one job that long. I know it's interesting. And I feel like, you know, sometimes I get itchy and I'm like, maybe it's time to move on, but things are always changing here. And I've been through an uh, iteration of positions. I started actually as an AmeriCorps volunteer. Mm -hmm. And so that first year, um, you know, I was really involved with the volunteer management and getting to know that and have gone through four or five different positions to be where I am now. And I just, I love this place. You kind of grow on it. Not that the place grows on you, but you grow into the place. Yeah. There's always new challenges and new things that you want to, to get in place. So that's been fun. And how long have you been in your current position as the executive director? I've been in that, um, my current position for about four and a half years. Cool. And what exactly does Teton Literacy Center do for our community? And are there other organizations around the country that you guys model or collaborate with? Good question. So Teton Literacy Center is a family literacy program. We provide after-school tutoring, after-school clubs, summer programs, and preschool programs, all of which we provide for free. So our, our goal, our, essentially our mission is to change lives through the power of literacy, really working at eliminating the achievement gap that is prevalent in our country and definitely prevalent in our community. So we provide these support systems um, and services to um, really connect students with the love of reading. There are programs like us around the nation. We are interested in that many of the programs that we have modeled after that we, you know, kind of keep in touch with to get ideas from, they do one aspect of our program. So there's, you know, a lot of organizations around the state that do, you know, after school programming for at-risk students, or they do um, summer programming or preschool programming. But we're unique in providing all of those aspects. And I think Really, we are just responding to the community need. It's not that we're trying to be uber creative or, um, you know, do something new that no one's done. Everything that we're doing has been, you know, recycled and we're using best practices from other organizations. We're just putting it together to be the formula that our community and our families need. Spectacular. And a lot of people might think that, oh, well, Jackson Hole, Teton County is one of the wealthiest communities in the country. How could there possibly be a literacy problem or need in a community that's so wealthy? So help us understand how this need is, is created. How do, you, how do you find your clients? Sure. So I'm going to take you back a little bit in historic um, the history of TLC. Please. So we actually started in where pretty old, 27 years old to be exact. Started in 1992 and started with one AmeriCorps volunteer who was tutoring a, an adult student. So it was an adult um, who had just fallen through the cracks and uh, needed literacy support. And as a formal organization developed in a board, they realized, well, if we can get to our youth um, and we can service the children of our community, then hopefully we won't have any adults who are in that position. And so they moved to kind of a preventative lens. And to kind of think through our community and what we face is, you know, we are still a, a rural community. And yes, we have the financial resources um, that many communities don't. And I think that's you know, I'm so incredibly grateful for that because that's the reason we can offer these programs for free. But with that financial resource comes a huge income disparity. And as you know, like Teton County has the largest income disparity in the nation. And so while we have community members with financial resources, we have others who are really struggling to make ends meet. And when 
you know, there's huge correlations between socioeconomic status and academic um, performance. And so whatever those barriers might need, you know, we need to look at it holistically and community partners are a key player in that. And so that's why family engagement is at the center of what we do, because we know that in order to make that academic progress with a student, we must support the family as a whole and we must collaborate with the parents. You know, we only see students a couple times a week. And so we want to use the parents uh, as partners in our work. And so I think, you know, the other part of that puzzle is, is we have a phenomenal school district. And so we partner very closely with the school district um, to ensure that our support that we provide during this out of school time is not moving in a different direction than the school district. So it's aligned with their daily efforts um, and that we're building on what the school district is doing. And, you know, as you know, having kids, I mean, every child learns differently and they gravitate to different things. And so the, the option that we can provide at TLC is that we can individualize a little bit more than a larger classroom in a district setting. And is there qualifications that somebody needs to have to participate in your programs or is it available to everyone? It's available to everyone. Um, granted, we do have wait lists, so their level of participation might vary based on need and that is academic need as well as family need. But programs like our after-school clubs, I mean, we'll serve over 250 students each year in those programs and that's open to the community. We recognize that all of us as working families need somewhere safe and engaging for our kids to go after school. So that was the purpose behind developing that. We appreciate it, my wife and I. Okay. <laughs> when school was in play, we were using your after school program. And they're great. I mean, they're, um, we call them sneaky academic fun. So the kids don't even really realize that they're doing math and literacy work um, when you make it engaging in that way. What is the national numbers for literacy here in the United States? Where do we stand? You know, not great. Uh, I would have to look up the specific numbers and I can definitely get that your way, but we should be doing better. It's a disservice to our, our children and our youth and, and the way that we're approaching literacy. And there's a variety of reasons for that. You know, a lot of it is education is run at the state and local level. So there's a variety of tools that different districts use. Um, and when you're looking at choices made at a district level, we just, again, it comes back to that idea that not one shoe is going to fit everybody. And so the ability to differentiate is really hard in these larger settings. And so reading is it, and literacy is an interesting concept in that many people kind of have this assumption, like you, you learn how to walk, you learn how to talk. No one really has to teach you to do those things, you know, and sometimes it's assumed that, you know, you'll learn how to read. But when you think about the history of like humans and you know, the alphabet is a fairly new concept. And so our brains were not are not wired to do that. We, we have to think about the letters and the sounds that it make and, and we have to be explicitly taught that. And so, you know, there was this huge debate in getting into the like educational research of this, but there was a huge debate in literacy teaching around whether phonics is the way to go and we should explicitly teach phonics. And there was this whole debate in the 80s and 90s and then a ton of federal research around that. And really it comes down to this idea that individualized instruction is crucial and explicit instruction is crucial. And in order to do that, we have to also couple that with surrounding kids with, with books and with people who love books. And so doing that instruction coupled with the love of literacy is what's gonna make an avid reader. It can't be one or the other. 
And so that's what we try to do at TLC. And the, and the way we do that is highly qualified staff and teachers partnered with a reading mentor who are volunteers. So we have a, over a hundred volunteers every year who meet with students and really just share their love for reading. A hundred volunteers. That's quite an arsenal of readers that you have there. We are just doing our end of year data, wrapping up the school year, and we had 133 volunteers with us this year. That's spectacular. It is. I mean, thank you to the Jackson community. We are a small community, and to pull 133 volunteers, it's just, we are really grateful we couldn't do what we do without them. We do. I was talking to my wife a few weeks ago and saying how I feel as though during this this whole COVID-19 sequestration at home, that my time has been limited, so I haven't been able to read as much. And then I reflected upon it, and I said, but I'm still reading to the kids. So I'm still reading. It's just I'm not reading what I want to read for for my benefit. But reading to the kids, to the boys, I'm still reading. So I'm, I'm still using my skills and sharpening my skills. And there's some great kids' books. I mean, children's literature these um, days, I just, I think we have phenomenal options out there. We do. Right now, my six-year-old, he's reading a, a, a fart book. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> reading is reading. It is great. You get in your 20 minutes every day. I think, um, you know, as long as they're interested in it, I think, go for it. This kid crushes books. It's insane. Is he one of those kids who likes to read the same book over and over? He's read a few of them over and over, like um, James and the Giant Peach, nice. the BFG, the fabulous, fantastic Mr. Fox. Gosh, um, a Roald Dahl fan. I love it. Oh, he loves Roald Dahl. Um, George's Marvelous Medicine. He he really enjoys those. Yeah. They're a lot of fun and very entertaining. And the older he gets, the more he understands some of the humor in them too. Yeah, because that, that language and the humor in those is challenging. So that's impressive. Yeah. Thank you. But it's a lot of it's him. But we do re- read to him a lot. And, and he so reads as well. Turned him into a lover of books. There's a few things. One is we always read to him. So he was our first child. And when Laura was nursing, my wife's name is Laura as well. When she was nursing and it was the bedtime routine, I would read. And then when we took him off of nursing and went to bottle feeding, she would read and I would give the bottle. And he would always remember what was going on. And we would stop reading and then he would finish the lines. And we're talking about like at two, he would remember the book, remember the lines and you'd mix up words. And he says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not it. I love that. (laughs) And it's just kept going. And he would look at stuff and say, what does that say? And because he would do that so often, he wanted to know he has an inquisitive mind and we feed it. We just fuel that inquisitive mind. We're very fortunate that we are able to be at home and we're not nighttime working parents. So during the day, he goes to daycare and at night we're at home and we feed him all the information. Not all parent, not all families have that, that value, that benefit. And uh, Totally. And not all families have, you know, that schedule and that luxury of time. Um, and we recognize that, but 
We also just try to train um, families that come through TLC in the value of reading at home and reading together. And, you know, we did the same with our young boys and it, it sometimes feels silly. I mean, you're reading to like this newborn child. Like my mom has this picture of me holding Scott as an infant and his head is kind of coupled over. He can barely see the book, but it's that language. And even before they see the pictures, they're hearing the language and they're hearing the alliteration, the rhyming. And those are the things that's the foundation of literacy. And it's never too early. And so I love that idea of starting young um, and fostering that passion for it. Yeah. And our four-year-old, he's now, he loves us reading to books, reading books to him. To where for there was a period he didn't want to read a book. I feel like there is an age kind of two and three. They're very physical. They're like, you know, they want to be more active than the book sometimes allows, but it comes in phases. I can say as a parent, there have been many times where they'll bring, either of them will bring a book and say, we read this to me. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I got to make dinner. I need to clean up the kitchen or something else. And then I catch myself and say, yep, I will go read that to you. Absolutely. My husband and I had that conversation recently and we talked about how like that is the one thing that like a book is, yeah, stop now and let's do it. Because that, again, that passion and that desire is going to, it's going to help them go a long way. And I'm grateful that they're engaged in it now. I hope that it stays that way. But the other thing that we have been working on a lot at Teton Literacy Center is access to books, because I think that's a piece that, um, you know, I took advantage for through growing up. We always had books around. We went to the library a lot and books were just a part of our life. And I think if you grew up in a different family dynamic or your parents weren't engaged in reading the way that, you, you know, we might be, um, it can be more challenging. And so... We have been trying to give away books. We do a book drive and collect any gently used books from the community. And then like this month during closures, we have two coolers of books out in front of the office to just get books in people's hands so that they can continue enjoying reading. Cool. We have a box of board books. You want them? Yeah. Bring them our way. Absolutely. All right. I'll do it. (laughs) Thank you. Now, earlier in the show, you mentioned how you just felt as though Jackson was the place for you to be. Tell me, what exactly did you do when you first moved here that made you realize that this is the place for you? I think one of the things is the size of the town and the ability to make connections um, and the authenticity around those connections. I had, again, just come from Europe. I had been, um, I went to school in Dallas. I'd been in these bigger cities where it just felt rushed and everything in life felt fast and furious. And while I always thought that I would end up in like DC or New York and I wanted that that bustle, I found out that I didn't. Um, And that what I really wanted was time to build relationships and make connections and for them to be built around common values. And I think that just happens more naturally in a small town. And not to say it doesn't happen in large cities. And I think I could have made that happen, but it just felt easy and comfortable in our community. How big was the town that you grew up in? About 500,000. Where in Alabama did you grow up? Mobile. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my brother grew up down there. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I and- do... I miss the beach. I mean, that's a hard, that's the one thing here is I do miss that, you know, view where all you see is just water. Mm -hmm. And Mardi Gras in the spring. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't realize that there was Mardi Gras Mobile before Mardi Gras New Orleans. Stefan, thank you. Thank you. I would like (laughs) you to add that to every podcast if you could. (laughs) That is a little known fact that we do not get credit for. Um, but it's also good because it's a secret and our Mardi Gras is way more fun than New Orleans and we don't get the crazy 
chaos. Well, I went to high school in New Orleans, so I've experienced both of them, and we will not get into a, to that debate during the. We'll save right that now. for another day. We will save that for another day for sure. <laughs> I love Definitely. it. Definitely, I love what you just said. The small town, not feeling as rushed, and it was easier to make connections with common values. That meant a lot to me being in a small town. And it's wonderful to hear somebody else say that as far as what that, what drew them to this town. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all know the struggles about staying in Jackson and being here. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a common discussion between my husband and I, you know, like, can we make this work and how long will we be here? And I think that is what it comes down to is we value this community and what this community has to offer. And we want to be an active participant in this community. And we feel that our neighbors and our, you know, employers, they want to be the same way. And, and if we were in a, a larger city that just, it isn't there. So we're grateful for that here. And if it is there, it just might be a little bit harder to find. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Now, during the number of years that you have been here, what changes to this community have you seen that you have really embraced that you feel have been great changes? You know, that's a hard one to answer because it's hard to uncouple the changes that I've made as a person, you know, and what have been changes of the community and what have been changes of me personally. And, and it's also hard to just have that lens. I mean, we've just gone through, what has it been, 10 weeks now of, Mm -hmm. you know, a crisis that I have never been more prouder of our community. It's been such a blessing to watch our community go through this together and to watch organizations and nonprofits come together and surround each other with support and work to ensure that, you know, families have access to resources, um, you know, from food to finance to all of that. And I think, I guess, you know, that would be one of the things that I have just seen over the years is while you hear being in the nonprofit world, you know, you always hear like old Bill's numbers, there were 250 nonprofits and yada, yada, yada. And people get frustrated with that number and, Yes, that might be crazy. And that number isn't actually accurate. That's not how many there are. But B, these groups are doing valuable work and they're working together around um, needs of our community. And I think I just love seeing that in action. And I love seeing people identify a problem and go after it and figure out how they can be part of the solution instead of just being a part of the, what's a kind way to put that, you know, the complaining side. Well, we have a philosophy at the liquor store and at Jackson Hole Marketplace that if you do have a problem, you, you need to come with a solution. Okay. Don't just give me a, don't just tell me what the problem is because when you have a solution for it, then you've thought about what's causing the problem. And, and it's important for people to think about that. I'll be right back with Laura after this quick message from the show's sponsor. The liquor store of Jackson Hole has been growing with the community of Jackson Hole since 1985. Locally owned and operated, the liquor store is ready for summertime. We've loaded up on rosés from around the world and adult sparkling seltzers. Get your cooler ready. We have the ice, beer, and rosé for summer fun. You just need to add the barbecue and fun. We're open for in-store shopping or online ordering using our website or mobile app to have your favorites delivered for free. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn more. I'm interested to know how you've changed, how you've developed since you've been here. Well, I think, you know, professionally, just diving into this organization and getting to know deeper the 
the issues that face our community, both, you know, from a systematic perspective of learning and educational institutions, but also just from individual families' perspectives. One of the things that we do at TLC is um, we do home visits. And so we go into the homes of some of our families and they are graciously, they graciously welcome us in and we work with them. The goal is in our preschool program, we're only with them a couple days a week. And so again, we want to empower parents as their child's first teacher. And so in the home, we bring activities and kind of extend the learning to the the home, but it becomes so much more. I mean, many times I've had parents bring out meals, you know, we're sharing food, we're sharing stories, just like here, we're sharing how did we end up in Jackson and and what what are we doing? And I think my lens has changed drastically. And I don't think that I had a vision or an expectation of what immigration looked like, but now being a part of this community and being a part of um, many of these families' lives, I have a whole new perspective around that and just the challenges that some of our neighbors have faced and even providing opportunities for their children. And it's definitely brought a lens of gratitude to my life that I didn't have before. And I think the second piece of that is I now have two little boys at home. And so the minute that happens, your perspective immediately shifts. Life is Mm -hmm. no longer about you. It's no longer about what you need. It's about what your children need. And that has also been a great professional growth opportunity too, is that's the same thing with the parents here that we work with. I mean, everybody is working to better the lives of their children. And it's really awesome to be a part of that. I love it. Love it. Thank you for contributing to our community and you growing and doing what you do. I'm also interested to know a little bit more about Teton Literacy Center during this COVID-19 period. You mentioned something earlier, how some of the nonprofits providing food or money to people, which is extremely critical, but as well, we have to keep the educational development going and especially with the distance learning the virtual learning that has been implemented how has this impacted or and or changed your model to operate to still be able to engage with your students so it's completely changed our model i think when all of this happened um we the first step we took was that immediate step of you know do our families have the critical resources that they need to survive food, financial resources, how are they doing mental health wise? What can we plug them into? Not that Teton Literacy does any of that, but we have some great partners that we can connect with. So that was our first step is um, we did, I think like a hundred phone visits um, to where we just checked in with our families. And we did that for four weeks straight to make sure that our families had the support and the connections knew where to go for those resources. Because, you know, if you look at the research, if a child doesn't have food at the table, if they're not feeling safe in their current environment, learning is a waste at that point. They're not going to retain what's going on. So we first wanted to meet their basic needs, and then we just shifted our program model to a virtual model. So our largest program, uh, tutoring, we shifted to Zoom tutoring. Um, so we meet with our students instead of one-on-one, we are doing it in small groups. We're also giving our volunteers a break right now, just because we weren't even sure how to navigate this. So our staff members are working with our students in small groups, which has been an experience. It is hilarious. Um, they like, I'm sure you've seen this, but you know, they'll be on their zoom call. We're doing, you know, a phonics lesson or whatever, and you'll get a raised hand. Can I go to the bathroom? Um, 
And so they're still like following their normal classroom procedures. It's so fun. So we've been doing those. We've also in, um, and I hope you've seen this, but we've been doing after school clubs virtually and they are video posts of our awesome staff proposing like a challenge and then reading a text and then having students go out and do something. So those are all on our website for free. Like one of my favorite ones, and maybe this is just because I did this in elementary school and it was my favorite day of school. We made solar ovens. So one of our teachers, Anya, did that um, with families, really trying to utilize things that you'll have at home. Um, so there's a lot of challenges like that available on the website. We've also moved preschool to online, obviously not doing like four hours of preschool virtually via Zoom, but we are doing um, morning meeting and read alouds and things like that. And then we have an online toolkit for our families to practice math and literacy. So in a quick couple of weeks, and I was joking with staff, I was like, you know, it took us 20 years to figure out what our programs are and what this community needs. Like, don't expect us to be perfect and don't expect your programs to be perfect in a, in a two week shift, but they've done an incredible job adapting. And what we're now looking at is we are going to reopen the summer. So in mid-June, we will be phasing back in students. We will run, we normally run an eight-week summer program for the highest at-risk students. Summer is, I'm sure you've heard me rant about this, but summer learning loss is, uh, can be really detrimental and it can um, cause students to lose two to three months of reading and math and, you know, cumulatively over their high school experience that can be you know, three to four grades that they have regressed. And so we've really worked to combat that and start a new program a couple years ago. So we're going to continue with that program. But instead of having 60 kids here at once, we are breaking them into smaller cohorts. So it will be a hybrid model of some in-person with online extension. So as everybody, we're just taking it day by day and trying to keep in touch with families to make sure we're meeting their needs. I'm thrilled to hear that you're able to adjust and maneuver, especially for the summertime, because that's important for those kids to still be engaged with. Yeah, we think so. Um, and we have I, we have a board task force who's working on, we're working closely and have a whole plan on reopening, obviously stringent procedures and policies that we're looking at to do it safely and to keep our students and our staff, staff stay safe. But I think we can navigate this. And I think it is really important that we get students back in the classroom. And I think not just for the academic gaps, but the social emotional component. You know, they've been away from their friends, they've been away from their routines, and um, it's important we ease them back into that. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for keeping that going. That's going to be so important. It's our pleasure. We're excited. And I feel like our staff more than ever, you know, like it's hard to be a teacher and not see your kids. Um, so mm -hmm. we're looking forward to it. How many students do you think you'll have in that summer program? We'll still have our 60. Um, okay. So we'll just run it. They, instead of coming for the full week, eight weeks, they'll come for four weeks. Okay. And then additionally, we'll, we're hoping we're going to continue. And this has been another, you know, eye opener from this experience is that we have online capabilities that we can continue to use. Um, and we are going to continue Zoom tutoring and it allows us to serve more kids and keep them safe. So we can serve an additional 50 through online tutoring. And then we run a summer program called Practice Kindergarten, where kids who are entering kindergarten get to go to school at their new school for a little bit and practice riding the bus um, and just get to know the routines of um, kind of the big school for a little bit. So we're still hoping to run that program as well at a reduced okay. number. Nice. I, I have a question about video games. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> uh, can't wait to hear this question. <laughs> is there 
an educational value for any of those video games that kids spend so much time on, or even the apps that are games for kids? Well, you know, disclaimer, I don't know every game out there. I don't know much about video games in general. I think we can kind of talk ourselves into being a positive on many things. And one of the games that I love to play with kids is where kind of a yes or no game, you go to the side of the room, whether you think you're reading in different activities. So like cooking a recipe, are you reading? Yes or no. Um, Driving a car, you know, are you using your literacy skills? Yes or no. And you go through this plethora of activities, video games included, and yes, you're using your literacy skills. Um, You're having to navigate instructions. You're having to view pictures. You're having to problem solve. And so, yes, you know, I think you're using those skills in that environment. As with many things in our lives, I think it's about balance. And I think it's about ensuring that that is coupled with actual reading and actual conversations. And I'm not sure reading is actually, you know, the biggest loss of, you know, a video game kind of love. I think more it's about some of the social, emotional, and the language skills that you sometimes lose and not having to interact and talk through something. Hmm. Um, But I think there are values. I think there's definitely some apps and some programs that are much stronger than others. And I think, you know, the Pediatrics Association has some great guidelines on the amount of time kids should be on screen. And I think obviously right now we've all pushed our own limits around that, but I hope that we can find a healthy shift back into normalcy um, because I think we sometimes think screen is TV or screen is video game or screen is app, but we need to remember it's a combined effort of those devices. And so making sure with, we're within those recommendations. And another question, I was not a good reader. I'm still not the best reader out there, but I push myself read more and I become a better reader, meaning I retain the information better and I'm actually able to stay focused in what I read. Other than just the practice, and if there's adults out there listening who struggle with the same issues, are there programs that you offer or are there programs nationally that are offered for adults who can who feel as though they need help or want help with becoming a, a better reader? Yes. Um, So we don't have any traditional programs like we used to, but we still have the avenue to provide and the resources to provide that. So we would do kind of a one-on-one tutoring model in that regard. I think, you know, what's coming to mind when I think about adults who struggle with reading, and I loved how you just kind of sum that up is, is reading is making meaning. So the whole point of us reading is to take that information, use it, you know? And so A lot of times what we struggle with, and I was a struggling reader too, and I think TLC attracts, you know, a lot of us who, who did have that experience and where a lot of the struggle is, is how to understand what you're reading. And you might be able to kind of verbalize the words on the page, or you're struggling so hard that you aren't able to comprehend what you're reading because you're having to look at sound by sound. And what we find even with middle and high school students is many a times when there is a struggle, a reading struggle, it, it, goes back to some gaps in the basic foundations and that, you know, the English language is is incredibly challenging and we have different letters and then different letters make different sounds. And then when you combine them with different sound, different letters, they make an even different sound, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it's all of this, it's a code and you have to crack the code. And again, it goes back to that idea of we want it to be something we do naturally, but it's not, we have to learn the code. And if you have gaps in the code, it's going to be challenging. And those gaps in the code are going to equal gaps in comprehension. So many a times it's about going back to the foundations. Now, what did you do to be a stronger reader? 
Well, I got pulled out, you know, and I was um, in special classes at school and mm-hmm. had a tutor around that. And then, you know, I think I was lucky, just like we were talking about. I had a family who reading was a part of our um, our daily routine. And so I struggled through it. But I also saw the light because I still enjoyed it. And I think there's a tipping point And there's a point where students have struggled so long that it's no longer fun. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to prevent at TLC is to make sure that the struggle doesn't get so severe that they lose their love for reading or they never develop that. Mm-hmm. It's a really fine line. Yeah, so true. Yeah, when it came mat- down to grades, it was math and science, A's, B's, you know, high B's, high A's. Came to reading, whoo, that was a struggle. C's, I squeaked by with C's in high school with, with reading, with English. And I think what I realized is that the reading was the foundation of those other pieces. And so if I wanted to learn about history, history was one of my favorite subjects. I needed to be able to, that was the way I got that information. And so I realized that reading opened up doors to so much information and to um, so many experiences. And even now with the boys, like they've just gone through this like space kick and books are the way that we learn. Like I realized I don't know much about space. So we've gotten some picture books and learned more. Um, And so that's the way we can access information. Well said. Thank you. And and I loved what you said earlier about it's a code and then you just got to crack the code. That's so true. So true. Do you have some of your students come back who become tutors down the road? Yes, that's been really fun. We have a slew of high school students in our volunteer corps. Um, some of which have been with us in different capacities. And so it's very fun to see them come back and be the other side of this. And we have a few high schoolers who are still working with a mentor themselves. Um, Obviously at a high school level, it's not so much about those foundations anymore. It's more about using your writing and um, the comprehension piece as well as the, the writing piece. But we have a few high schoolers who are receiving tutoring and a tutor themselves. So Mm -hmm. it's awesome. And every year, the Rotary Club that I'm a member of, the Rotary Club of Jackson Hole, which is the lunch club, sponsors a luncheon for literacy. And we can bring guests and all of the money raised goes directly to the Literacy Center. Is that going to happen this year? We just did it last week virtually. Okay. Um, It was just kind of a simple presentation, but we will revive that next year and it will be better than ever. Terrific. That's awesome. And I saw that now that you say it, I saw the invite for our Zoom meeting and I have not been able to make any of the Rotary Zoom meetings. And that's fair. And I feel like it's just, it's harder to connect that way. And I think we're all getting a little Zoom fatigue. I am very good at Zoom and I get to spend a lot of time with it. And for my wife and I, because of the distance learning and that's through Zoom, our concern is the amount of screen time that our that our kids get and are exposed to. So it, it's it's a pretty tough balance there. Absolutely. And I mean, I've noticed an impact on myself, just like my sleep patterns and my energy levels, um, you know, it directly impacts all of that. Yes, it, it is. Now, are you all looking for volunteers right now? Normally, my answer would be yes, absolutely yes. But just to, again, to the nature of our online programming right now, you're not. We are already working on our reopening plan for the fall, and we anticipate that we'll be able to resume face-to-face programming with some 
new procedures at that time. So we are um, asking all volunteers to look into volunteering and uh, we have an online application form on our website. So tetonliteracy.org. There's an online application form that will be available in August and volunteers can apply that way. And you guys sponsor the reading program where people go into classrooms as well? Yes, we've supported with that. And that has kind of, it's not as large as it used to be. So we used to help place in-class volunteers, essentially, um, rotary readers being a large part of that. And they would go and read, kind of do a story time to um, elementary school classrooms. That program has become a little more difficult to administer just due to the changing schedules of our teachers in our school districts. So there is a lot on our teachers' plates to get accomplished in a short amount of time. And so it became harder to find those nuggets of time within the classroom. Mm-hmm. That's, that's unfortunate. It works yeah. great for us because we'll take we'll take all the volunteers. Sure, sure. So for people to volunteer, just go to tetonliteracy.org and they can sign up and that'll start up again in August. Yep. And it is, we have a few different options that they can engage with. If they are wanting to commit for a regular schedule, um, an hour a week, say, you know, every Thursday at four, then we would match them in the tutoring program and they would have one student that they would work with on a regular basis. Um, But we recognize that a lot of Jacksonites travel and have various work schedules and so might not be able to commit to something so regularly. So we have been working really hard to place them in other opportunities like our Literacy Lab preschool program, or we've had some volunteers in our clubs, which has been awesome. So again, our clubs are after school and a lot of times they're science oriented. So we have, you know, they're making volcanoes and exploding them and you know we have 15 kids going yeah and so it's pure fun and these you know 15 kids and one teacher is overwhelming so having extra hands in those classrooms is awesome too so whatever you have to give we have a way to plug you in that's wonderful i want to wrap this up by getting your recommendations on some books maybe one or two children's books and one or two books for adults. Okay. Okay. Children's books. Oh, you can't see me. Um, okay. Two favorite <laughs> children's books. Um, Why don't you show them on the video? Why don't you show us anyway, if you have them, even though the listeners can't see it, maybe we'll do some still pictures okay, good. Um, um, on there. Okay, so I don't want my hat back. This is do you have this one? This Moose Belongs to Me by Oliver Jeffers. I love Oliver Jeffers just in general. Um, and this wasn't necessarily the first book that I was introduced on him to him with, but the illustrations are phenomenal. And the illustrations are in Grand Teton National Park, beautiful watercolors. But the story is about this little boy who has a neighbor moose who he thinks he owns. And so, but then he finds out someone else thinks he owns the moose. Hilarious. I love it. Um, and it has great vocabulary, like vocabulary words that you know, my four-year-old doesn't comprehend, but that's how you introduce them to new words. So Oliver Jeffers, check him out. Um, And then the other um, author that we have been using a lot is Todd Parr. And Todd Parr, he came, the library brought him a couple years ago, and they usually do a couple speakers for families each year. They brought Todd Parr. He has great illustrations, but also great messages. This one's about, it's called the I Love You book. And it's, about things that you love about family members, about things that you love about yourself. The other, he has the family book, which just talks about how some families are different and look different. The other one I love is the feelings book. And I think right now, especially working and reading with our kids about 
ways to identify their feelings and ways to also validate their feelings is really important. And I just love, you know, kids' books are a great way to introduce a concept or an idea that might be hard to talk about. So those are great ones. Um, Very helpful. Thank you. And I also see Pete the Cat behind you. And we have Pete the Cat as well as this moose belongs to me. Do you have the missing cupcake one? It's a great one. It has math. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like the cupcakes go missing. And so you're having to do math in your reading. So again, multitasking. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, good Um, ideas. So some books that I've been reading, um, one that I just read that I really enjoyed was called, um, got it at the Valley Bookstore, um, The Ungrateful Refugee, a memoir. I don't remember the author's name right now, but a beautiful memoir about her refugee experience. And she went around the world. She is in the U.S. now, but spent a good deal of time in Europe. Um, and studying how they are handling the refugee crisis. And it was really interesting. And just, um, I think that's what I love about books too, is just the empathy it provides and that, you know, we only have our own experience, but books give us this lens to what other people are feeling and what they go through. And that one really has been sitting with me for a while. And then, you know, I'm reading parenting books, which really aren't that fun. And I shouldn't recommend (laughs) because I read them and I really don't retain any of them. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, putting it into practice is a whole different ballgame. We can all use a little bit of help. Yeah. I recently read a book called Up From Slavery. And it was a game changer for me. And it was written by Booker T. Washington who was born a slave and he did not know how to read or write. And you hear in the book what he went through because he had such a desire to learn how to read and how to write. And it was phenomenal. And talk about a struggle. He was in that struggle. Um, I need to read this. Thank you. uh, A friend of mine, Mike Stedman in New Jersey, who teaches boxing, he has iron bound boxing. And he has now transitioned that to completely virtual. He wrote his thesis on and recited some of the stuff, some of the segments coming out of Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. And so I had to go read it and I got it on the Kindle and uh, it was a phenomenal read, phenomenal read. And then another book that I'm listening to, but I've read before and probably listening to my fourth time is a business book. It's probably known as one of the all-time greats by Napoleon Hill, uh, Think and Grow Rich. And it's all about how we think about life and how we can, with the right perspective and intuitiveness and getting things done, that we can be successful. And the success is different for everybody, but we can all do it. I love that. Yeah. Um, I... And I just love the options we have in reading these days and um, how easy it is to access books. I mean, even with the library being closed and bookstores being closed, um, I've, you know, I've been downloading it on my phone or my Kindle just to get some of that, um, some of that fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you read anything by Brene Brown? Brene Brown? Mm -hmm. I have not. Um, She has some great leadership books, Daring to Lead. And it's been really inspiring and giving, you know, just giving yourself grace around making mistakes, but also validating your dreams and giving you permission to go after those, which I think um, kind of going back to that parent perspective of when you become a parent, you, you shift your thinking 
but it's okay to still have dreams of your own and to recognize how those dreams might have this positive impact on your children. I think we're going to finish it off on that. We all have dreams of our own and we have to follow this and we have to, takes work to make them come to life, but we can do it for sure. Laura, this has been a wonderful experience and time spending with you and talking with you. I, I really appreciate the time that you've provided and thank you for what you do for our community, you and all of your volunteers and your staff of, as well. It's much needed. Literacy is so important. And with literacy, that's something nobody can ever take away from someone. When you have literacy, it's always yours. I love that. Thank well, you for the encouragement and the support. You bet. Laura, very good to see you. Have a great day. You too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. I hope to see you soon. Likewise. Okay. Bye. To learn more about Laura and Teton Literacy Center, please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 93. I'm looking for more ratings and reviews, so please stop right now and give us a five-star rating however you listen to your podcast. And many thanks to everyone who helps me keep the Jackson Hole Connection alive and rolling. Michael Morey, my marketing and editor. Luke Taylor, my musical director. And of course, my wife and boys, Laura, Lewis, and William. Many thanks to you all, and I sure hope to see you here the next time for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.